0: are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP.
1: Our conversation is with Adam Roberts who from Paris covers for The Economist European Business and Finance. He's in Dallas tonight to discuss Superfast Primetime Ultimate Nation, The Relentless Invention of Modern India. His book, which was published late last month by Public Affairs, who I might add, selection of authors, is without fail, as one might say, in the Council's wheelhouse. Welcome, glad you're here. Thank you very much. You know, As you note in your introduction, being posted to India for nearly half a decade gave you such a unique opportunity to evaluate India's continued transformation.
2: What do you hope that readers will glean from your observations? Well, I hope there's a combination of two things, really, that I had immense pleasure reporting from the ground, getting out and seeing things, smelling it, tasting the the spice and feeling the dust and the heat and so getting out there. So I hope there's a little sense that people can get of what it's like to be in India and the great diversity of the place. And then on the second part, the analysis, I hope that people who maybe don't know India that well, I can help unpack it for them, take them through some of the big challenges the country faces and the great strengths and opportunities that India has that I think is going to make India a more significant player in the future. So what's the message of your title? Well the four words of the title refer to the four parts of the book. So super fast, can India's economy get rid strong and grow and make the country less poor, prime time can the democracy come to work for India and become an asset, not a burden on the country, ultimate is the foreign policy section, how much of a role will India have in the rest of the world and be influential so that other countries will care about it, a nation, the fourth part, asks whether the domestic state of India, the relations between Muslims and Hindus or between the majority and the minority, whether that will continue to be stable or whether we should begin to worry.
1: Now, Prime Minister Modi really does seem to have been more successful and many others in pushing India towards being more efficient. Mm. Is that an accurate assessment? And is he holding on to his support because there will be elections, what, next Next uh, year? He will face or? a
2: general election in 2019. I think Two he years. has a lot mm-hmm. of popularity still, the opposition is very weak in India, so I would expect him to probably win in 2019, perhaps not with the same very large mandate that he has at the moment, but with enough to keep on going. What is his mandate now when they do polls? Well his last mandate, as of 2014, he got the biggest result in 30 years in India, the only time after the assassination of Indira Gandhi since then to get a complete majority in the lower house. What he can do now is perhaps get control of the upper house and the lower house, so he could actually be more powerful even if his vote drops a little bit. So his strength is there. Whether he's delivering fast enough on the sort of things that I would demand him to deliver on, you know, we can debate that. I think he sees the future of India being strengthened by making the state stronger all the time. And I would argue in typical economist fashion that he also has to release markets and allow other things to flourish as well as make the state more modern.
1: You know, one of the caveats that you noted in your book is you talked about the role of women in India's mm. society. And, and certainly over the last few years, there's been a lot more reporting by you mm. and other media about some of the issues pertaining to gender equality yeah. and violence against women. Yeah. What are you seeing in that area as far as protection and you know the horrible issues of gendercide that yeah. we read so much about?
2: Well, those issues are very much still there and I think that we will be more aware of them because India is urbanizing and a lot of problems that were probably always there but we were less aware of them. When they come to the cities, we know more about it, so paradoxically, we see the problem more close up and perhaps that's the first step for beginning to tackle it. Some politicians, including Mr. Modi, talk about the problem, which is also a welcome step forward. There's some good legal changes, but I don't think they've managed to tackle this in a really substantial way yet. Is
1: it still a cultural issue? in certain parts of the country?
2: Very much. If you look at preference for boy children over girl children, the fact that abortions of female fetuses continue to happen at a great rate, preferences for boys even in childhood, will the boy or the girl survive in the family is very much more likely to be the boy. That's still the case today in India. So there's a cultural factor that hasn't gone away despite the modernization of India. So when you think about this movement
1: towards urbanization, that puts a lot of pressure on the cities. How is India handling that insofar as
2: the environment and transportation? Well, we've probably heard a lot about the pollution in China, the the difficulty of being in Beijing because of the smog. Well, Delhi and many, many large cities in India have problems that are just as bad as in Beijing. And given the fact that the economy is racing on, there's an attempt to industrialize India, the number of new cars coming onto the streets are infinitely great. And so the pollution problem, I think, will continue to get worse. Whether you're an expat or a native Indian, you just become more and more aware of how your lungs are filling up with these tiny little particles, the PM2.5, that get deep inside your Lungs. And so, if you add to that the pollution of rivers, the contaminants in the land and in the food, there is a growing awareness that this is a threat, the environmental threat to India. It'll be, again, difficult. Because you've certainly
1: seen that in China. I've talked to expats who don't want to live
2: or have left Beijing because it's not a good place for their children to grow up. That's beginning to happen in Delhi. There are certain embassies that now will not have family postings in Delhi because of the pollution. The school that my children went to in Delhi put a great store in the value of their air filters and the fact that they can almost literally build a bubble over the school. So, this is a a very big issue for the expats but for anyone who's conscious of what it's doing to their health.
1: Adam, another uh, point that I found very interesting in your book was you talked about the rhetoric that one's beginning to see a lot more of in the mm. Indian media. We certainly see in the United States yes, has become yes. more partisan. You talked about how it's creating more awareness of some of the schisms,
2: divisions mm. between the Muslim and the mm. Hindu population. Yeah. How serious is this? I fear that it is becoming more serious, that we've seen for example in the last few months the rise of tensions over the cow. The cow is of course very sacred to Hindus, but for many Muslims the cow is a source of of income. If you're a butcher, if you're a trader in cows, this is a very important industry for the Muslim minority. Of course. And we're seeing vigilante squads, Muslims being killed, and the response of government is often very tepid and silent and more concerned about the safety of the cows than of the humans who have been killed. So I worry that this could be a flashpoint in India, that the rise of a certain branch of the Hindu nationalist right will provoke a counter-response from certain parts of the Muslim community too. So I think we have to be very careful in India not to start fires that cannot be put out again later.
1: Let's talk about another flashpoint, and mm. that's Pakistan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems you read that there's going to be negotiations and the prime ministers meet at some point, and then there's yeah. a pullback. President Trump, before he was inaugurated, mm-hmm. called the prime minister of Pakistan and yeah. expressed his great admiration. Mm-hmm. Shortly after his inauguration, he did call Prime Minister Modi and yeah. called India a true friend. Mm-hmm. But where is India right now with its relationship with
2: Pakistan. Well, it's been a great swings and roundabouts under Mr. Modi and Nawaz Sharif in Pakistan. There have been moments of enormous hope. Narendra Modi dropped in in Lahore and visited Nawaz Sharif and paid a visit, the first visit for a decade, by an Indian Prime Minister to Pakistan. And that was seen as a great gesture and a bold gesture by Modi and perhaps presaged progress to come on something substantive. Sadly, In response to that, we've seen more terrorist attacks over the border in Kashmir. We've seen Modi again pulling back when there were elections in Kashmir. And so I think we're seeing a pattern of blowing hot and cold over Pakistan. And so there are moments when you can hope, but I fear that although Modi sees occasionally a chance to make history, he would dream of having a peace prize, getting international recognition for solving this problem, he knows that politically, domestically, the risk is very high to reach out to Pakistan, and I think he won't be taking those risks. I wish we could go on for longer, but I do want
1: to ask this question at one point in your book you cite certain similarities between Prime Minister Modi and President Trump. Yeah. What are they? <laughs> well, they're both <laughs>
2: outsiders to politics, they're both broken in, uh, they're both rather macho figures, and they're not necessarily the most academic of people, would that be one That's saying it guess? nicely, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but also their supporters, if you look at who supports them, they're often quite nationalist figures who believe the rhetoric of saying, let's make India great again, let's chase the Chinese away from our borders, let's make it a strong country, and that you talked earlier about the media. the there's a the rather bombastic media in India, they also rather support that language that, that Modi is very good at stirring up, and I think there are similarities here. So is Make America Great a threat to India? It depends how it's interpreted. There's a potential for a great alliance or great strength between India and America, and it may be that Modi and Trump work out and then maybe their similarity of characters makes this possible. There's trade opportunities, there's cooperation on all sorts of matters, whether it's security or how to handle the Muslim world, how to handle China. There are potentially all these great things to work together on, but a lot will depend on whether those personalities click. Well, Adam, I want to thank
1: you so much for being guest on Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. It's a remarkable book.
2: Congratulations.
1: Just published, super fast, primetime, ultimate nation. The relentless invention of modern India.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys and 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.